Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So today's class is on uh, two concepts that are uh, required to understand because they provide immediate um, direction to our Dhamma practice. Uh, karma and rebirth are wildly misunderstood in modern Buddhism and in, in the modern world. It's, karma is often portrayed in pop culture as some kind of form of reward or punishment. And that's usually how most people believe in this, that, uh, which means we have no control over the karma. We, we do something and something's going to happen because of it. Uh, and that leads to a belief in, in salvation and magic and all kinds of things, that my, my actions can somehow manipulate the world in a way that's going to bring me favor or disfavor. Uh, the, when you think about that, there really can't be much more of an arrogant or self-referential thought than just that. Uh, and of course, it's not something the Buddha taught. So... We began uh, this study with a look at the method, jhana, jhana meditation, and then we learned the four foundations of mindfulness that we apply in jhana. Uh, we looked at the four noble truths, and then we spent three weeks on looking at, at the wisdom, uh, virtuous, and concentration factors of the Eightfold Path that led us to, to the, uh, I think it was week five or six, on the three marks of existence, the impermanence of all things, the not-self characteristic, the misunderstanding of what a human being actually is, and the resulting stress and suffering that comes from not understanding the first two, not understanding the impermanence, and not understanding what it means to be a human being in this impermanent world. Uh, and then we spent two weeks looking at uh, the cause of all this, that, that from ignorance of four noble truths, all manner of suff stress and suffering arises, uh, dependent origination. And then last week we looked at the ongoing personal vehicle what we maintain through our own ignorance of suffering, known as the five clinging aggregates. Form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and the last is consciousness. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start um, about two-thirds of the way in the chapter that I know you all read and studied and memorized. Um, uh, and notice that the Buddha's teaching... This is a teaching on karma, but his emphasis is on consciousness. So we know that our consciousness is what's creating our karma, which is another way of saying our experience of what's occurring. If you want to know what your karma is, if you're confused about that, take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, what am I? And if you come up with things like, I need something outside of the human realm, or something that you might need to gain to be happy in this moment or to be safe, there's your karma. Our karma is what we think of ourselves in relation to the world. And so because that can change the way that we think, we can change the unfolding of our karma and so give birth to moments rooted in wisdom rather than ignorance. So let me read what the Buddha's words on this. At Savati, the Buddha said, Friends, what one wills, what one plans, what one dwells on forms a basis for the continuation of consciousness. So immediately the Buddha doesn't get into where we came from, where we're going, how, how a mind came to be or consciousness came to be. And we understand from dependent origination that consciousness in the sense of the Dhamma is simply ongoing thinking that in the case of the beginning Dhamma practitioner, that's ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. It's not some grand cosmic consciousness. It's not something that is uh, of any useful value until a mind learns to take control of their consciousness. In other words, consciousness that is, um, that is fettered rather than unfettered will always lead to trouble. It will lead to all of man's ills. And you could really honestly say that we create stress and suffering, violence, poverty, all the things we don't want in our life, we've created it because of the way we think. And the only way we're going to change any of that is to change the way we think. Now, we're not, we're not talking about changing the, the human experience or the worldly experience. We're simply talking about changing my experience to what occurs in the world. 
Monks, what one wills, what one plans, what one dwells on forms the basis for the continuation of consciousness. And if all of that, what I'm dwelling on, is rooted in ignorance, what am I going to manifest in this life, in this moment? It will have to be rooted in what I'm dwelling on, what I'm planning. Am I planning that tomorrow I'm going to have a difficult time with so-and-so? Well, look at what you're planning and look at what happens tomorrow. Rather than be at peace in this moment, no matter what's occurring, and as the Buddha is going to point out, a reference point to what's occurring. This basis being present, meaning thinking in this way, ignorant of four noble truths, consciousness now has a lodgment. When ignorance is present, ongoing thinking rooted in that ignorance has a place. It has a lodgment. It has something to hold on to. Consciousness being lodged there and now growing. Right? This is something that occurs as a consequence of having a human being, a human life. This type of consciousness can't help but to grow. It's lodged, it's now growing, and because of that, rebirth of renewed existence takes place in the future. Not in a hundred years or a million years, in the future, in the next moment. And from this renewed existence arise birth, decay and death, grief, uh, lamentation, Suffering, sorrow, and despair. Such is the uprising of this entire mass of suffering rooted in consciousness and has now lodged its, itself in my existence, in my form. Everything, all of the things that we don't want follow from that. And we could classify all of that as dukkha or discontent. Even if one does not will and plan, yet if they dwell on something this forms a basis for the continuation of consciousness. It's another way of saying what we dwell on will experience, what we focus on will experience. i got to go back and say it again. Even if a man does not will and plan, or a person, yet if they dwell on something, this forms a basis for the continuation of consciousness. Rebirth takes place. But if this one neither wills nor plans nor dwells on anything, no basis is formed for the continuation of consciousness. So how do we free ourselves? We don't plan and we don't dwell on anything. We don't exert our will on anything. What is that a picture of? And with my eyes open, I'm simply a reference point to what's occurring. And I'm at peace with it no matter what it is. No matter what it is. That's liberation. Where else could we find liberation except in this moment in a calm and peaceful mind? How do I develop a calm and peaceful mind? I recognize the effects of ignorance that have this karmic momentum to them that can only give birth to another moment. I've lost my mind. Or I can develop jhana meditation and learn to integrate all the seven factors, the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path and gain control of my mind. And in this moment, I can then recognize the unfolding of my karma. Karma is the, is the present moment unfolding of past intentional acts now moderated by whatever I'm holding in mind. What I'm holding in mind now is the refined mindfulness of the Eightfold Path. So I can recognize that karma, my karma, is not reward or punishment. It's just an idea. It's a wrong view. It's only taking place because of my views that I'm holding of myself in relation to the world I live in. I am in control of my karma. Not the Buddha, not God, not some amorphous avalokiteshvara with eight arms. It's me. And it's in this moment, and it's only in this moment, that I can regain control of my mind and so bring to cessation the, the karma that is driving me towards another moment rooted in ignorance. Remember the, the Bhagavad Sutta? Karma is the field, consciousness is the seed, craving the moisture. I'm the one that's building or, or growing the field of my karma in this moment. This basis being absent, consciousness has no lodgment. Well, just again, reiterate the bell. I'm not willing, I'm not planning, I'm not, I'm not dwelling. This basis being absent, consciousness has no lodgment. I freed myself from my own ignorance because I'm not willing, I'm not planning, and I'm not dwelling. Consciousness not being lodged there and not growing, no rebirth of renewed existence takes place in the future and so birth, decay, and death, grief, lamentation, suffering, sorrow, and despair are destroyed by cleaning up my thinking, by not giving lodgment in my own thinking for stress and suffering. It's up to me. 
It's not the world doing this to me. It's because I don't understand who I am in relation to the world. Such is the cessation of this entire mass of suffering by learning how to think. By lodging our view in a right view rather than a wrong view. A view ignorant of four noble truths. These are my words. An awakened mind settled in equanimity will produce no additional karma. As no karma is created, whatever karma is is left will simply ripen or it will manifest itself without in your life without a reaction and fall away. Remember the, the uh, description, the present moment unfolding of past intentional actions. <coughs> Excuse me. Moderated by the present level of mindfulness, what I'm holding in mind now determines my existence. And because I've developed conscious concentration to the point that I can maintain refined mindfulness and right view of this moment, when an otherwise stressful moment arises in my life and I don't react to it, that would be right a karma ripening <clears throat> in this moment, coming into my existence. I do not react, what happens? It simply dissipates. Like every other thought dissipates if I don't cling to it or dwell on it. Or take the thought as motivating me towards willing something, working my will into the world, or planning something, like getting tomorrow's Lamborghini, or the, the house, the hut with the biggest coconuts, or the most coconuts, or anything else that's a, that's a distraction from this moment. I've gained control of my thinking, I've gained control of my mind, so I've learned, I've gained the ability to think what I want to think when I want to think it, when it's appropriate. And I'm no longer compelled to live my life driven by an uncontrolled mind that doesn't know what the hell is going on. Continue. That will simply ripen and fall away until complete liberation and freedom is realized. Again, my words. The Buddha taught that the overall experience of life in the phenomenal world is characterized by dukkha, by stress and suffering. Uh, Dukkha is disappointment, disillusionment, stress, unhappiness, discontent, and ongoing suffering. The sole purpose of the Buddhist teaching, then, is how to extinguish clinging and experience the cessation of Dukkha. I'm going to stop right there because that's, that's what we're doing here. We're engaged in a practice that we can directly address the cause of our own discontent. That's it. Nothing more. So there's no... But that's everything, isn't it? Yep. Because I'm no longer clinging or craving. I'm not providing moisture to my thoughts anymore that is planting the seed of my, my karmic experience. My thinking is pure. It's, it's under control. It's well concentrated and it's resting in the refined mindfulness framed by the Eightfold Path. I am liberated. I'm free to go. And I can move, the, this is where they, and you've heard me talk about this in different ways. The real power of the Eightfold Path comes in this understanding of realizing that yes, I have liberated myself from worldly entanglements. I can walk through the world peacefully. I can walk through the world, using a dominant term, unfettered. Why? Because I'm not fettering myself by clinging and grasping, by craving that things be different or that I have more of this life experience. I can't have any more than, of this life experience that I'm having in this moment. But I can't have any less unless I decide that this is a lesser moment, that there's something lacking. Does everybody get that? It's because I think there's something missing from this moment that I grasp after something in the future. I just lost my mind. But when my mind is calm and at peace through understanding, there's no grasping after anything. There's nothing to fuel my karmic field anymore. Karma is to feel, consciousness to see, craving is to moisture. Stop feeding it. Stop, the, the, a word that often comes up is we provide sustenance to our own ignorance. We keep it going through feeding it. But what are we feeding? We're feeding something that can only produce stress and suffering. Living within that framework of a mind rooted in ignorance of four noble truths might produce some great things in our lives for ourselves personally or we might see it out in the world. But even so... I will not be able to appreciate it or at least appreciate what I'm doing in this life fully for the, soul, for the simple reason that I'm not present for it. So even if I got to play center field for the Yankees, if that wasn't enough, I wouldn't enjoy it. 
And if I was able to become playing center field for the Yankees with a mind rooted in ignorance, it wouldn't be enough. I would have to be MVP every year. You understand what I'm saying? It's never enough. We can, we can achieve the things we set our, our minds on, our goals. And once we get there, it's always a disappointment because now we think there has to be more. I got to keep this fabricated view of self going rather than taking a breath, understanding what's occurring and being at peace with this moment, being a reference point to what's occurring. That's today's talk. I hope that you find it beneficial. Uh, I'm going to start with Lauren. Lauren, how are you this morning? Good morning, John. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for asking. Um, I hope you can hear me. I just switched to my phone because I'm having I some internet issues. Yep, I hear you fine. Um, okay, good. Um, Dhamma teacher Kevin actually gave me a, some good advice, which was to read the chapter out loud, or at least very slowly. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you, Kevin. That made the sutta so clear. Um probably one of the suttas that I've read so far that really made the most sense. And your teaching, John, just now just um, enlightened me even more, I feel, to the ideas of karma and rebirth. And it it's so timely because I was just having a conversation with someone about um, Buddh- like traditionally Buddhist ideas of karma and rebirth. And this person was so sure that the whole point of everything was to um, basically, you know, kill your ego, avoid karma so that you'll never be born again. So you'll never be reincarnated. And that was the idea. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound so great. And it still sounds as though there's some like magical afterlife that they're reaching towards, you know, or just the lack thereof. Um, And so this, this idea of, rather than just trying not to ever be born again, <laughs> just to be liberated from the moment by being unfettered and not giving birth to another moment of ignorance and grasping. I, I knew I knew when I was having this conversation that, that there must be some answer like this, and you just answered it so clearly mm-hmm. today and in this chapter. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you, Lauren, for, for sharing that. Thank you, Kevin, for that, that great teaching on how to, how to study. It really is helpful. Uh, and that, that is kind of the common belief in karma, that, uh, you know, that th- this life is, uh, is just full of stress and suffering, and we just got to get through it so we can get, don't, don't come back here anymore and stay in some uh, magical place forever and ever. That idea of of some like an eternal establishment, that just scares the hell out of me. I, I can't think of anything that I would want to avoid if there was anything to avoid. It it just seems like an, an eternity of constant. I remember I was I mentioned this a few times. I was taught that my reward would come uh, that I'd be I'd spend eternity sitting at the right hand of God, and I I can't think of anything. You know, I think I said last week that you, you, you mean I can't go fishing or chase girls, but but I really mean I mean what 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 kind of life would it be sitting at the right hand of why would I want to do it I just could I could never understand it and I still can't understand it but I don't have to what I do have to understand is this moment I'm living a human life and all the rest of that is just pure speculation that can only cause stress and suffering so continue to read all this stuff very slowly uh, and read it out loud because it is a great way to learn. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Might as well go to Kevin. Thanks, Lauren. Good morning, uh, Kevin. Nothing to add, John. Just going to take noble silence. Thank you for another teaching. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, Brian. Morning, John. Morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I, I guess I distilled this down to what we think we become. Yep. And the requisite condition of becoming is birth. And the requisite of that is suffering. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, again, going back to, you know, what we will, what we intend, that that's mindfulness or mindlessness, right? And what yeah. we hold in mind, we, we become. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it all goes back to that, that right intention, right effort, right mindfulness. And the goal, you know, similar to dukkha, right? There's, there's no good or bad dukkha. There's yep. no good or bad karma. Yep. The, the goal is to eliminate all of it. Yeah. With with the you know understanding of what anatta is, what impermanence is, and what uh, dukkha is. So, thank you. Yeah. John. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, karma has no 
inherent energy, karma, the only energy karma has is what we give it, is what we hold in mind, what we, what we will plan and dwell on is the energy that we give to karma. It's not, it has nothing of its own. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an inert idea that we give power to, that's all. Thank you, Brian. Hello, Mary. Good morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Um, this one um, does make an awful lot of sense to me. I think it's really clear the way you've taught it. And I try to um, think in little and large moments that, um, you know, by putting the pause and slowing things down, and we know in every moment we can contribute to, you know, suffering or we can contribute yeah. toward liberation. Yeah. And that just makes a lot of logical sense. It puts the, the power and the uh, ability to get there within a reasonable uh, stretch and within our um, ability to do that every day, again, in little and large uh, moments. And it, it keeps you in check with you and and you in reference to the world, right? So you yep. put those longer pauses in and then as Brian was saying you're maintaining the mindfulness and it becomes uh, like at first it's um, you know very intentional and then it becomes more natural yeah. that you're trying to make decisions that lead you to liberation um, so thank you John yeah. thank you for that share Mary it was excellent Dr. Kevin second time. belief that um, that I was taught I, I, I don't mean to keep beating up on Christians I really that really isn't my intention it was just didn't work for me but I was taught that I could I could get away with murder if I would just repent and that whole idea seemed crazy but that's kind of what you're talking about that if I 
If I do a lot of good stuff, the bad stuff won't really matter. That's pure eye making. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to make myself better than I think I really am. It's self loathing, isn't it? I'm just I'll be good to cover up the bad rather than just be a human being that occasionally, you know, most human beings don't intentionally hurt people, but they do inadvertently out of mindlessness. I know I have. And, and and those are the things that I don't do anymore. So I was never out to hurt people, but I did inadvertently because I had no control of my mind. I would say things that weren't nice to people. I yelled at my parents and, you know, or, or other people, relationships. Uh, you know, I took hostages in relationships. I did all those things because I was scared to death that I wouldn't get what I want in the moment. Now that my mind is calm and at peace, I don't do that anymore. I brought karma to cessation. I don't need to be good to you to prove to you that I'm a good person to hide my badness. But that's where that thinking comes from. Uh, and it's all, the, the, the common word for that in modern Buddhism is that we gain merit. And by the accumulation of merit, we can get to some kind of resolution past this life. And of course, again, I just spent my whole life trying to get someplace I don't belong anyway. Mateo, you were going to say something. Yeah, what is your take? If somebody does something bad or evil things, but is completely unaware in doing that, so what about the karma in this case? Uh, well, the, the, the problem for that person is going to be that they're not aware of their own actions. So there's going to be, using the word karma, there's going to be a lot of negative consequences for that person because they're not aware of what they're doing. You, know, you, can't, you can't escape your actions but you can hide from them, can't you? You know, so the, the, the difficulties that that person would suffer in this life are because of the way that they're thinking, not because of some punishment. But I will say that people that act egregiously towards others tend to be dealt with, with, with uh, unpleasant, in unpleasant ways by society. They might get put in jail, although we're, you know, we're not doing that anymore, but that, that's creating stress and suffering for other people. There's no way to escape our actions, even if we're ignorant of them, because the, the results of our actions will always be felt by us. Always, we can't escape that. You know, so you, you can't ignore the things that other people might, might say you'd be punished for through karma, because you're going to create it in your own mind. There's, there's none of that. A, a person who is um, antisocial will, will always have to live with that unless they are truly psychotic, but that's a very rare thing. True psychosis in the world is very, very rare. But people that, that um, massage their mental illness, that's something else again. That's not psychosis. That's understanding uh, to a certain way that you can use your own failings to manipulate the world, which is what that thinking is. So does that help, Mateo? Yes, good. Yeah. Yeah, it is just that. Again... I don't want anybody else to be responsible or have any uh, impact on the quality of this moment in my life. And I found a way to do that. If that and that's up to me. You know, in other words, if this moment is, if this is a, a less than ideal moment for me, it's because I've created that for myself. But that doesn't mean that I don't have sadness or joy. I, I, have, I feel my feelings much more than I ever did in my life. Now, today, right in this moment. And I'm so glad for that because these are real feelings. They're not, they're not clouded by or, or even misunderstood by me wanting them to be different. So when I'm sad, you know, and that happens often, when I, especially when I listen to the news, uh, look, looking at the way human beings live their life is saddening. It, I mean, and it should be to a person who really cares. It should be. But I know that I can't do anything about it. I accept it. And I... You know, I do my I go teach a, I go teach a Dhamma class. That's what that makes me feel good. So I'm glad you all listen to me. <laughs> so I have this vehicle. But really, that's it. You know, it's the 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 secret to we're in the truth of happiness. The, the secret to happiness is radical acceptance of what's occurring, not wanting it to be any different. And the only way that I know to get to that radical acceptance is understanding uh, the three marks of existence. And that's that's what you're describing too, Matteo. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, how, Jeff, how are you? I'm good, John. Thanks for asking. Uh, I don't think I've got anything coherent to, to say or add. I just spent a couple of days scribbling notes and realized that 
it's all incoherent babble. <laughs> I didn't really need to put myself through all that anyway. So I think I'm just going to shut up and meditate on what I hear today. Thank you very much. But you're not, you're not judging yourself harshly for all that writing, are you? No, no. I feel, no I, just because I feel a bit like a cartoon character today, uh, I'm sure it's not judgmental. Good, good, good. I'm glad you joined us, and I'm glad you're you're being very gentle with yourself. So. Good morning, Tom. Morning, John. Morning, everyone. Um, so yes, I I I took some comfort from the um, uh, the reference to uh, residual karma. Um, and I think it was um, Kevin who was sharing earlier, like that he's built up a reservoir of karma across his, uh, you know, throughout his life, um, as I have, right? And I, I guess as we all have. And yeah. and so even if you were to take to the Dharma in the most, you know, perfect concentration, the the, the first day that you hear about it, um, you would even then you would still have that residual karma. Which would which would be um, sort of impacting your life, and of course you would be more skillful in in um, reacting to that karma. But that karma yeah. would still be there for a period of time until it until it sort of eventually fades away. Which is, I think, very helpful to bear in mind, and you know, to go easy on ourselves when yeah. practicing and not going as we as as we wish. So um, that that was really helpful. Um, I had a question as well, though, because uh, when you, we've read some suttas where, you know, it will sort of end the sutta by saying, you know, those present were um, delighted by these words and immediately awakened, right? Mm-hmm. And, but then when you balance that against the idea of there being residual karma, I find it like if someone were to join our sangha and and then after one class were to be like Tom, I'm already awakened. I've, I've, <laughs> I would be I would look at that a little bit suspiciously. Not that I would obviously know, <laughs> but I'd be like, really, you awakened after one session? So so my question is, do you think that that um, that was kind of put there in these suttas as for more for sort of storytelling purposes, so that people understand the concept and that maybe in more likely what actually happened is the penny drops for those people and they're like okay i get the teachings now and then they went off and practiced and they were on the path to enlightenment or do you really think that that, that people some people throughout these suitors actually gained immediate enlightenment uh yeah i i tend to think the the latter time i i it, 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 there's only a few suitors where the where that it, it ends with those those gathered uh, we're delighted with these words and and awakened, um, but I, I actually I don't I don't really think about that too much because I take the sutta itself as direction that I need. I know that you know when I read that sutta, I, well I'm not awakened. Uh, whether this whole group of people did or not, um, to me is just it, whether it's true, it's encouraging, and whether it's not true, is encouraging. In other words, you know the it, if if the Buddha put it in there to kind of make a point or the the uh, <clears throat> Uh, the recorder of that sutta, uh, that's fine with me because I still know that that's not me. I got to do something else. I got to continue continue with this practice, um, and so the Dhamma teaches me to to do that too. To stop uh, comparing myself to anybody else, especially people in my sangha, and just put myself in my place. This is what's occurring in my mind. That's what I can deal with, and and, uh, and the Dhamma teaches me that. Um, so does that does that help, Tom? Where there you are? Yeah, no, it it does help. I mean, it's more of a yeah. It doesn't hinder my practice. It's more I'm more asking from a perspective of if someone were to ask me, you know, how do you? Because I I take your point that it's not something you should really concern yourself with that much, um, because it's all about your own practice. It doesn't really matter if somebody else awakened immediately or not, right? It's all about yeah, but and you also have to remember that that the the suttas that reference that that finish with that that line. The Buddha's talking to people that have been practicing. That wasn't the first sutta they ever heard. You know, even the Anatta Lakana Sutta, where the original five members, uh, as the sutta says, gained awakening. They had been practicing a long time with Siddhartha, even before he started teaching. They were, they were going through, 
and studying with the same teachers and rejecting them to get to that point where they were ready to hear that final sutta that the Buddha gave. And, and as, we, as that sutta says, the hearts and minds of those gathered uh, awakened on that point. It wasn't just one sutta or a couple words. They had been putting in uh, years and years of practice. The Sariputta is another one. You know, the Sariputta awakened after coming to the Buddha after, you know, in about two weeks, but Sariputta had been studying the same, with the same teachers that the Buddha was. So he was learning, spending a lot of years learning what it's not, much like us, and then he finally heard the truth, and, and that's what uh, gave him his understanding. But the, I, the, the notion of instantaneous awakening is, is a modern uh, application. You know, you, the Siddhartha Gautama didn't instantly awaken. He spent six, six years studying and working within himself and applying what he eventually learned to himself before he awakened. Uh, Ananda, the Buddha's uh, cousin <coughs> and chief attendant for most of the Buddha's teaching career, didn't awaken until a month after the Buddha passed. So uh, the idea of instantaneous awakening is something that's a, a modern concept anyway. Which is, I had a question for you. Is there a reservoir of karma? Well, there, it's a good question. Uh, the, and I, li- I like what, what Kevin said, but karma, again, doesn't have any real energy. But didn't he say it, that he had a reservoir of craving? But, but yeah, but... Uh, our, or a reservoir of craving... That's it's different. like that moisture. Yeah. You're the karma. Yep. So therefore, if the next moment has no craving, there can't be a reservoir of karma. Your karma, Anglo Miller, his karma yeah. was cleansed because he went forth. Yeah. So therefore, you don't have the, this like... The I reservoir know, was emptied at that moment. It was empty. Yeah. Because your next mm-hmm. moment is pure. Yeah. based on the formal truths being understood. So yes. there's no makeup classes you have to go through. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Again, karma doesn't have... Karma is without substance. There's nothing to it except what we maintain in our consciousness. And that's... that's and it's not just the same... Like In other words, um, if I had an argument yesterday with Betty and I told her to, and I flipped her off, I'm using the word Betty. That doesn't mean that at some point in the future I'm going to have to have another argument with Betty and she's going to flip me off. It doesn't work that way. What I've done by arguing with Betty and flipping her off, I've conditioned my mind towards aggression towards other people. And so as I'm carrying that within my psyche and somebody looks at me cross-eyed tomorrow, I give them the bird too. That's karma. And, and, and it has nothing to do with, with Betty's karma. It has to do with my karma. I'm the one that's creating the distress and I hope I'm using a useful example, but it could be anything like that. Yeah, that karma up. is an aspect of conditioned thinking. It has, it, it, it has. There's, again, there's no substance to karma, Ram. You're setting yourself up. Yeah. What you, every day, every every second. Yeah. So if you again, if you want to find out what your karma is, look in the mirror. Take a good look at yourself. You could even do an inventory of what happened today, the good things and the bad things. That's your karma. And it's not just the bad things. It's not just arguing with Betty. You know, it's also getting a kiss by Betty and, and feeling you're something special. You've just impacted your karma for that moment. And then tomorrow when Betty looks at you cross-eyed and doesn't give you a kiss, what's wrong? What's wrong, Betty? Right? If your, 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 your thoughts about what you're expecting in that moment of ruling your life rather than just being present with Betty, maybe getting a kiss off her. But your whole life is around a kiss. You chase women. I what? see you. You chase women, John. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I chase now is Bodhi, my daughter. <laughs> and even that very but I have, I have memories. I have some sweet <laughs> memories. <of> younger days. <laughs> a misspent youth. Yes, Kevin. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I believe you know, karma does eventually just fall away if yeah. you're far, far enough along the path. I think the Buddha says karma eventually ripens yeah. and falls away. Yeah. And eventually you're empty of karma, just as you are empty of dukkha. Yeah. So it, it, it can go away. Yeah, and well, it, it will go away, provided we have you know, the right practice. That's the whole point of this. But it, again, you're right, it falls away <laughs> of its own accord just by developing the Dhamma. That's, that's how it works. Thank you. Let's go around the room. I think I got everybody online, right? I think so. Becky. Good morning. Thank you, John. That's a very good, very good teaching. I enjoyed listening to it. 
I enjoyed listening to what everybody said. This was always a concept for me that was very uh, confusing in the beginning. And today I started feeling confused and then I just realized that you know, you can get lost in the uh, details of planting and watering and growing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and then you just realize that what, you, what, what, what you're doing is practicing the Dhamma. Yeah. And if you continue and you, you keep in mind the, the foundations of mindfulness and your concentration, then you will recognize when you're growing your karma and you will be able to address it in the moment. And that's really, that's really all, not all, because that's not easy, but that's all you have to do. That's right. That's, that's right. all you have to do. Yeah. yeah. It takes present moment mindfulness to do that or mm. refine mindfulness, but, that, but the Dhamma provides that skill. And mm -hmm. to get that, you just have to remember the Eightfold Path. Yeah, that, again, you're not you're not simplifying it too much. This that, it is just that simple, but you're also right to characterize it as difficult. Why? Because of conditioned thinking, or another way of saying that, because of karma. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is this is not an insignificant teaching or something we don't have to understand. I would say it's key to developing the dhamma. You could say it's a a, a second level teaching, but still significant. You you can't get through the dhamma without understanding karma and rebirth, especially those. And David might want to comment, especially those that have been involved in modern Buddhism, because that's how it's, it's always resolved. I've never come across a modern Buddhist practice that didn't resolve in some other fabricated realm rather than this human realm. Maybe, maybe it's out there, but I haven't come across it. So. Thank you, Betty. Thank you. I'm Becky, not Betty. <laughs> Although I would love to give you a kiss. I'll take it. I'll take a kiss from even. Just don't tell your husband. I said that before, I think. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a thing of mine. <laughs> Good morning, Scott. Good morning, all. Good morning, John. <laughs> uh, so, uh, practice is going awfully well. It is just full, thank you, of gratitude, uh, of peace and joy. It occurs to me that's what we wanted in the 60s. We probably yeah. smoke our way to yep, it. Yep, yep. <laughs> I almost did. Yeah. I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm getting a, a lot of value, a lot of reward in listening to the old tape lectures also. Oh, good. Um, Thank you uh, for but that. I'll say I was not particularly looking forward to this lecture because it was, uh, the, the title was Karma and Reincarnation. I thought, that's not part of what we're learning. That seems so foreign to what we're learning. And I remember in the 60s, we, we listened to that song where the lyric oh, was, if you're not good, or if we're bad, we'll come back as ants. Yep. And I thought, oh, is that, what, is that really part of this dharma? So I'm very grateful that that was not the lesson. Uh, it was not about um, some kind of cosmic retribution and some kind of uh, either being born physically or not being born physically yep. as some creature uh, in the yeah, future. Was... So thank you for, for yeah. that clarification. Yeah. Uh, and then I was also a little bit confused about the... Um, Reservoir or um, yeah. or I forget what word was used for a residual residual karma. And I thought I thought karma was more of an intangible moment by moment. That's what I got from the lesson, yeah. and that didn't square with the idea of something existing as a residual object. Um, so thank you also for clarifying that. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Well, it, karma does have a lodgment. As, it, as the Buddha teaches it, but it, it doesn't have its own power. We, we create that in our own minds. And, and again, that reincarnation uh, is something the Buddha never taught, but he, he did teach, don't believe it. it it's a fabrication, you know, and, it, and it's, it's hurtful to believe it. It's unskillful to believe that. Because it, maybe it's true. You know, I, I, I don't say that there's no way that somehow I'm going to be reborn in some other non-physical realm. Maybe. But for me to believe it and that there's a purpose to this life to establish that one, I've just lost my mind. Because what I always wanted to know was, even when I was a little kid, was what's going on here? Because what people were telling me, what I was learning in school, didn't describe that to me. It didn't make sense. And it wasn't until, you know, I was 
rather well along in life that I came across what Siddhartha taught that life was about, and that made sense. And it's the only thing that, to this day, it's the only thing that's really made any sense. And I look out on the world, and it's like the Loka Sutta. The world is a flame, a flame with what? A flame with the fire. It's a passion. Thank you, Scott. Oh, my teacher Ram. Uh oh. Back to Yeah, that first line in the chapter, you know, I'm the heir of my actions. Mm. <clears throat> I can go over that forever. And it just came to me that <clears throat> that's the kernel of dependent origination. Yeah, that's right. The whole thing. Yep. In one sentence. Yep. Heir to the heir to my actions. What am I what am I um What's the right word when you get? What am I getting bequeathed? Uh huh. Yeah. Ignorance. If I'm if I'm maintaining ignorance, I can only bequeath myself ignorance, or I can develop this simple dhamma, this eightfold path, and awaken. It comes from me and it goes to me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Great insight, Dhamma teacher Ron. Dhamma teacher Jen. Hi. Um. I think this this really cleared some things around karma and rebirth for me. Um, and I recognize how condition conditioning will cause me to react to situations um, similarly. Um, and the Dhamma gives me the ability to kind of interrupt the tendency that I have to react to certain feelings and, yeah. and situations in the same way every time. So that's playing out for me a lot in the classroom, so it's so, so convenient to be in this situation that's very Groundhog Day-ish, same thing every yeah. day, same <laughs> kids coming in at the same time every day, and you know, it's this opportunity to like replay, retry, you know, yeah. some, some, to not have it, have the situation come out to be the same way every time. I need to stay fully present with um, feelings arising, thoughts arising, and overall con consciousness, consciousness arising, and recognizing that um, if I come back to what's going on inside, I'm less likely to contribute to my own karma. Yeah. Did everybody hear what you just said? That's, that's, Getting to the heart of the matter. Mm -hmm. If I don't address this in this moment, if, I, if it, this is just conceptual, if I think that I can engage in jhana meditation and go to a couple classes, maybe read a little bit on the website and I'm good to go, no. You have to apply it, as Jen said. You have to use your concentration and what you learned about an eightfold path and bring it into this moment. And so in this moment, as Groundhog Day keeps reappearing as the same basic things and we all most people live their lives basically the same situations day after day and so this karma plays out in those same situations if we don't recognize it and in that moment think something differently mm. our thinking will never change it has to be applied at the point of contact that's what Jen was describing and we talk about that all the time it is at the point of contact when things are arising that we apply the Dhamma we apply wise restraint we apply the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path to this moment. So, thank you, Jeff. Good morning, David. Thank you. Um, does anybody else have any questions about this, what we talked about today? It, it, it's another one of those things that can seem complicated, but it's only because of our own resistance to understanding this simple idea. Uh, again, if you want to know what your karma is, just take a look in the mirror, and there it is playing out. Um, all right, we're going to... 
we're going to continue with this study on Tuesday when the hindrances, I think, are up next. Mm-hmm. Are they? We're going to find, have to find a teacher. And then Thursday uh, has two small short suttas, Sumangala and Sumangala's mother. They're, they're great little suttas. If you get a chance, join us or listen to them. Um, we'll finish with Metta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all stress desires, sense desires, is not, <clears throat> is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thanks, John. Peace. Peace. See you all soon. Thank you. Enjoy extinguishing your car, Mary. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.